I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. Welcome to Bitches on Comics. I'm your host, Essie Fleenworth. I am also your host. My name is Sarah Century, and our very special guest today is Bianca Eunice. Welcome, Bianca. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yes. Where can people find you on the interweb? People can find me on the interwebs. Everything is Bianca Eunice. So if you search my Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, maybe Tumblr, if you can dig through the graves there. Um, <laughs> everything is Bianca Eunice. So it's Bianca, B-I-A-N-C-A. Eunice is spelled X-U-N-I-S-E. And uh, yeah, you can find me there. Yay. <laughs> Yay. Love it. So excited. So, Bianca, you are very cool, and we're very happy to have you on the pod. You are an, a, a comic illustrator, mm -hmm. and I've read some of, the, some of your interviews, and you've talked a lot about your mom and about how she drew when you were a kiddo and how she would draw your chore lists. And <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, I just need you to like delve into that. Like, what does that mean? Did you love it? Did you hate it? Like, did you get like an experience of like, oh, I really hate my chores or was it like, oh, I like my chores because I get my little drawings. I just, I need to know more. <laughs> it was a bit of both. I guess you could almost say it was kind of like propaganda art where you're like, it's supposed <laughs> to like encourage you, but at the same time, you know, it's like punishment. So it's, uh, it was very much like that. Like we would wake up in the morning and my mom would tape it 
to the kitchen cabinet. So like the way my house was set up was like open floor plan. So as soon as you came down the stairs, you would face the kitchen and there it would be. And we would all kind of gather around it kind of nervous, like, okay, what, who (laughs) is, who did my mom foresee doing today? And so like she would draw a picture of like my brother, Patrick. I have two brothers, Patrick and Glenn, and they're both older than me. And like Patrick would be like mowing the lawn. Glenn would be like washing the dishes and I'd be like vacuuming or something. So it was like, it was cute. And it was kind of like a soft blow versus like, <laughs> you know, like a, a chore list that was just boring and, and letters. And I honestly, when I really think about it, I've carried that in my work because a lot of my work is seemingly cute and non-threatening from a distance. And then when you get closer to it and you actually read it, you're like, oh, wait, no, she's actually going to tell you something. She's actually going to break something down to you. And so, yeah, actually just saying this to you now, I'm actually making this discovery right now. So I'm having a moment. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so that's, that was the list thing. But my mom wanted to work for Mad Magazine when she was younger. She was yeah. definitely like the OG black weirdo in the 70s. I posted <laughs> recently a picture of my mom wearing a black Sabbath t-shirt in like 1976, which I think is revolutionary for like a yeah. black kid in like East St. Louis. So yeah, I learned a lot from her. She ended up not going into comics. She ended up going into design instead, fashion design. But her style, she was always very into like Arkham and like that kind of underground comic style. Mm-hmm. I haven't broken it to her to Arkham's a racist. Like I feel bad. <laughs> I like don't, I'm like, eh, she's 60, she's fine. Totally. Yeah. I have one of those too, where I'm just like, you maybe just don't need to know about this <laughs> like person, a different yeah. person, but yeah, where you're just like, this person's so happy just living this world where they just don't have to know the things that Twitter has taught us. <laughs> oh, of course. I mean, because my, my mom's knowledge of Arkham is like, keep on trucking. Like she's not yeah. deep into the New York underground scene. She's just whatever was passed to her living in the Midwest. Sure. But yeah, I mean, I learned a lot from her. I write about her relationship a lot. I think that's kind of like a big thing for a lot of female and non-binary artists to talk about their relationship with their parents and kind of unpack a lot of that. But I don't want to get too dark right now with some of that because it's not always good. Sure. (laughs) You can appreciate that. I was wondering, did you have comics just around as a kid too? Like, were you reading a lot of those comics? Oh, yeah. I mean, a lot of it's kind of convoluted. Like my oldest brother, there's about a 10-year age gap between us. So he was kind of like a second parent. He was like a cool, because my mom got saved in the 90s. And, you know, that whole evangelism Mm -hmm. movement that happened in the 90s, my mom got caught up in that. And so a lot of the things that she used to be in, she kind of was like, oh, no, this is the devil now. So me and my brothers had to rebel and find it ourselves. And my brothers were always like, oh, read these X-Men comics and da-da-da-da, this is cool, this is cool. I had to, like, unlearn a lot of misogyny my brothers taught me because a lot of them were like, don't be like other girls, read comic books. And I was like, oh, okay, Um, And then I was like, wait a minute, just because I read comic books doesn't make me less of a woman. Right. Girls can also read comic books. And now now I teach them. It's fun. (laughs) But yeah, I I started reading that. And then my mom would get us. I don't know if anybody's going to know what this is, but they were called Shout Comics and they were Christian comics by televangelist Kenneth Copeland. And um, those were awful. And we like to read them because (laughs) they were so bad. Oh, and then, of course, 
Chick tracks. That's what I was going to ask. Yeah. That was our favorite. Oh, my God. They were so dark. Oh, yeah. My parents got divorced when I was about two years old. I was the save the marriage baby and I failed. So my parents got divorced when I was about two. My dad, both my parents are very colorful and went off to live very interesting lives. And my dad is a reverend. So I also grew up like as a preacher's kid. So of course, like being goth and punk was like my destiny. Like I had to. (laughs) There was no choice for me. And so reading like Chick Tracks was definitely the darkness that I was drawn to. Like I was like, oh man, how is this person going to go to hell? Like it was really exciting. (laughs) Reading those. I love them. Yeah. And then I would have like nightmares afterwards, which I probably could have prevented if I had stopped reading the Chick Tracks, but it was just the thrill of it. Like it was just like, man, because they were so ridiculous. Yeah. Witchcraft one (laughs) where it's like Debbie's going to like sacrifice children. Oh my God. Like it was just like people really believe this stuff. And that was kind of also the fun of it was knowing that Chick who drew these comics, I was like, how is he not stone drawing these? Like, I don't (laughs) believe it. He can't just be high on God. Like, it doesn't make sense. Drunk, it has maybe? to. Oh, yeah, these are Jesus Jews. So there could have been that. But like, I refuse. Jesus Jews. I refuse. He drew these sober because there are some of them are pretty psychedelic. Like, it's they it's, are. They are. I don't know. I like, who knows? But <laughs> I have a few. I have one shameless self plug that people can buy off of my gum road is called The Devil's Music. And it's about my relationship with music and punk culture and being raised Christian and all that kind of stuff. But oh, wow. Yeah. I'm like running over to buy that right now. <laughs> also, you can read Chick Tracks online now. <laughs> oh, really? I had no, I like, I, I mean, like, that's cool, I guess. I, I also just <laughs> like finding them. Like, even now. The journey where you get the treasure. Yeah. Yes. I, I traveled across the country many times in my 20s, and it was always just like you found a gold bar or something. <laughs> like, exactly. Yeah. I think I've been given a few, but they're more fun when you just randomly find them, like in the aisle at Old Navy or something and you're just like wow like somebody discarded this and now it's mine yeah whoever pedals them will kind of just throw them around um, the trains in Chicago so there might be like a smattering of chick tracks on the red line if you catch them (laughs) early enough they go pretty fast so you got to get them early but (laughs) we've gotten a few that way wasn't it all, um, I'm, like, I'm so sorry to turn this into the Chick Tract uh, podcast, but <laughs> wasn't it all self-published? Didn't he just like get Is really it? stoked on it and just start, was like, I'm going to make these free. I'm going to self-publish them and I'm going to make 10 billion of them in my life. I just assume that everything that is like got that air of very fire and brimstone Christian, like it's either funded by like, what was it, the 700 Club? Like I figure they probably are paying for it or like TBN (laughs) if that still exists, which like fun fact, I actually was on the Christian network once when I was younger, my choir. What? When I was a teenager and it's like really terrifying but really cool like it's very goth it's like so ridiculous like in the middle of tennessee or kentucky and it's like opulent and gaudy and everything is gold and purple and there's lions everywhere it's like the wolf on wall street and i'm surprised i've never drawn a comic about going to the tbn headquarters as like (laughs) a queer goth kid with all the other queer goth pretending to be straight at church but yet (laughs) yet I see, I see a, a panel coming. Because <laughs> looking back, like, who were we fooling? Nobody. <laughs> Let's do the straight thing. Let's sing musicals about God. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. I know sometimes I'll be like, 
I don't even know, like putting on my gay shirt, putting on my <laughs> gay pants, they're just my regular pants, and be like singing like, God of wonders, behold your majesty. Oh, and I'm like, man. why is that in my head? Why? Like, I don't even believe in any of this, but I'm like singing praise to Jesus around the they house. Were, they were pretty like, epic ballads. I mean, I enjoyed it. It's <laughs> definitely like an air of like John Tesh going on and those ballads oh from the 90s Christian ballads <laughs> i also love i don't know if you all experienced this one of the christian groups that i went to as a young brainwashy was one that uh <laughs> they would take contemporary regular songs and then change the lyrics to make them super christian um, oh, i remember an example but like there was a song that i did not even know was about having sex that had been turned into a song oh about, like, no praise. i'm and i was like so very confused i was, I was like <laughs> I think I was like in a club, like, oh, oh no, I misunderstood this song entirely. <laughs> I just remember when um, Evanescence came out and they got mistaken for a Christian rock band and they had to release like a statement being like, oh no, like we met at church, but no. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. They were huge in my small town because everybody was super Christian and they were like, this is our dark Christian music. I know. <laughs> And then they were like, record scratch. What? Psych him. Exactly. Oh, my God. I love it. Well, this is a perfect segue. Reading through so many of your slice of life comics and your informational ones, reading about your experiences about being like the weird kid. I was like, wow, this is really beautiful. The one about the pink wig. I found it so deeply moving because I was like, this is so similar to the experiences I had, even though, you know, we have completely different. Like as a white person, Mm. the things I was being harassed for were obviously not because of my race. It was more of my queerness or my, you know, people knew I was non-binary before I did. They certainly did not like it. (laughs) I was like, I don't know what I'm doing wrong here. But (laughs) there was just something so powerful about harnessing that like angsty teenage fish out of water goth in a rainbow factory why do you think we are so drawn to those pieces like even as adults what is it that we find in those that makes us want to keep coming back can you elaborate on that I think I'm just surprised at watching you render something from your childhood I'm like I'm resonating so deeply with this and I find it so frankly like healing to revisit some of my pains and be like oh someone else went through something similar Mm, mm, mm -hmm. and I'm wondering if you think that's a universal experience do a lot of people say oh my gosh Bianca you you nailed what I'm feeling or do you think it's more particular to one group or another or or, I don't know like how do you think about those pieces I guess now oh okay I got you so like I definitely don't make relatable work for the sake of relatability. Um, I know that that's like definitely like a genre of comics, especially on Instagram, hashtag relatable comics. Like I write distinctly for my teenage self. So like I'm imagining some black bisexual weirdo, non-binary, just like sitting in their shitty town, just like feeling completely lost and Like no one in the world understands them or is like them. And I write for them and I hope that they will find it. My gauge for my work is if I can't create this sort of feeling that I felt when I would discover something that spoke to me when I was about 
16, 17, then I'm like, you need to work on it again. And you need to get to that place where it really gets to the heart of the matter. But I'm always excited that other people share my story because honestly, I didn't see a lot of work like my own when I was starting out in comics. And even when I um, sought out comics uh, myself, like I was into Optic Nerve and 8-Ball comics and things like that growing up. But even though it was like exciting to see like people of color um, in Adrian's work or people of color in Jaime Hernandez's work, it still like wasn't Black women. Like it was very rare that I saw a Black woman that like wasn't Storm in the comics. And so always just kind of writing comics for other Black people. And it's really exciting to see that people can read my work and see my humanity. And that's the point. That's what I want people to see. I want people to read my work and realize that my experience on this planet is no different than anyone else's. We've all felt like outsiders. We've all felt like the weird kid at least once. I don't believe that everyone has felt secure and comfortable in their life, whether or not they like you know, pumpkin spice lattes or whatever. I still feel like there's that one Becky in the group of Beckys that's just like, I'm the weird one. And we've all kind of had that struggle. And I want people to read my work and see that humanity and almost kind of forget that they're reading work by a Black person and they're reading work about a Black person because I feel like a lot of times people read work or consume media created by Black people almost in sort of a observational type of way where they're just like kind of consuming Black work like it's planet Earth and we're still seen very savage-like and we're being monitored, we're being like observed and it's just kind of like, oh, this is what Black people do and this is how Black people experience the world and this is what Black people eat. How quaint and not understanding that like, oh, wait, like we just have variations of melanin. We all experience the same feelings. We all experience the same highs and lows. And that is the goal of my work is to kind of peel back that initial prejudice that people may see when they look at me and just see my humanity. Mm, That's beautiful. To me, it, it comes through loud and clear. I think there's so much, you pull from such a deep well within yourself, it seems to me at least, that it like, it can't help but resonate, right? I'm like, oh my gosh, like, this is so genuine. This is so, like, generous, too. I have to think of a third G word. Um, I can't. <laughs> That's okay. Honestly, like, when I was younger and a lot of these moments that I write about now would happen to me, my mom and I had a joke that used to be they should make a TV show about my life because no one would believe this. (laughs) And I've kind of like carried that mentality of just like remembering these stories and these moments in my life where I was just like, I have to share this with the world because it can't just be me that's experienced these things. Like you wouldn't believe it unless you read it. And then people are just like, oh, wow, like, yeah, this is something that I know exactly what you're talking about. Like one of my favorite memories was at cake maybe about two three years ago I can't remember but there was this young woman that had bought my work and she was still in high school and she was trans and she was like I really really resonate with your work as an outsider and there's a comic another shameless plug that you can buy on my gumroad gumroad.com forward slash Bianca Eunice And there is a comic called Imaginary Boyfriends, and it talks about my first crush, my first love, and 
how the boy ended up denying me because I was black. And I remember them almost breaking down in tears. And she was like, oh, well, I know the story because so many boys have rejected me once they found out that I'm trans. And we almost had like an Oprah moment, like we like are clasping hands over the table in tears. Just like (laughs) I was so touched that she could read my work and relate to it. And I was just like, I got to I have to keep making work. I didn't even know that I could expand this far into like where teenagers are coming up to me and being like, thank you. Like I was like, oh, wow, like this is incredible. And it's like one of my favorite moments. It's like one of those moments that I think about when I'm like, I I hate doing this. And why did I choose this career for myself? I don't even remember her name, but I think about her and I think about her opening up to me like that. And it just makes me want to keep working. Mm, That's so beautiful. Um, I write personal essay. And whenever I get like a nice comment on one, I'm like, I don't think this person understands what it means to me. (laughs) That like, going into my trauma and my gifts and my weird experiences and like barfing out something that makes sense and that someone felt something about. It's like, oh, I'm so glad. It feels so good to connect. And what I was going to say before that I remembered is you spoke so eloquently about the way that white people distance ourselves from stories written by black, indigenous and people of color. We see it more like voyeurs, like this is a thing for us to eat Mm -hmm. instead of this is a thing for us to engage with, to feel. And it reminded me of, you know, one of the things that we don't talk about a lot as white people is that white supremacy is killing us, that it it removes us from our humanity. Mm-hmm. And because we aren't able to access that relationality with Black, Indigenous, and people of color because we've said they're not human, they're those layers we've set up or we've inherited, those keep us from really fully engaging in the world. And so I think it's such a powerful gift that storytelling and storytelling like yours that is so intimate and so I guess matter of fact there's not any preaching in it in my mind it's just a lot of like this is what happened this is how I felt (laughs) yeah to me that's so compelling because it it forces me to draw the conclusions and the connections and that that's something I really enjoy as a, a reader and and lover of comics so Yeah, that's all I wanted to say. I just wanted to connect those pieces because for me, that was like an aha moment when you were explaining that. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, again, bringing it back to the whole church thing. Like if I'm being preached at, I'm not listening. And I have a comic about that as well, about just kind of the anxiety and self-hate that I've built towards myself just growing up in the church. And a lot of the way I believe and the way I try to treat people is I never want other people to feel the way I felt in my low moments. And I never try to enforce that and pass that on. I want people to feel loved. I want people to feel seen in the ways that I had hoped to when I was younger. And preaching like doesn't work. I guess maybe it worked for generations older than us that kind of respond well to kind of just that coach mentality of just being yelled at and ripped apart and then being built back up. But for me, I kind of, I never get past the being ripped apart part. And then I'm just depressed. And Mm -hmm. um, when I was a little girl, I mean, well into like my high school years, I would get baptized every week because I was so afraid that I was going to hell. And looking back, I'm like, well, yeah, because because you're gay. So that's why you were so (laughs) stressed out at church and you were like, thought everybody was going to find out and like set you on fire or whatever, Mm -hmm. Um, like a witch and (laughs) the crucible or something. But like (laughs) preaching does, it's not going to get the story calls. And it's also just like not the story I'm trying to tell. I'm not here to 
give people a bunch of just like information and a bunch of like, if you want that, I'm not the artist for you. I'm more or less just sharing personal stories that I can't. It's a very delicate line writing as a black person. I know a lot of other black writers and cartoonists can agree when you're writing about the black experience. You don't necessarily always want to focus on racism or white supremacy and what that has done to us as black people you want to experience joy and just live your life but also it's hard to just live our life without constantly being reminded of oppression so it's just kind of like yeah I will write about like the pink hair story I'm writing about my experience as a punk kid but then I'm also being reminded like oh well black kids aren't seen in this light so you can't have this and then it kind of goes back to like well actually Blackness can be all these things. And so we're not limited to one very stereotypical view of what black culture is. It expands and it could be whatever you want it to be. But that's my tangent on that. I feel like I've kind of <laughs> gone away no, there. That's, a, that's exactly what the point of the podcast okay. is. <laughs> tangent um, after tangent after yeah, tangent. that's it. Sweet. That's what we're here for. Right, cool. and, and I just want to say for listeners, the beautiful comic about anxiety and the church is in the lily. And it is, yeah, if you just look up Bianca, Eunice, and the Lily, it'll pop up, I'm pretty sure. That, to me, was incredibly moving because I think I had very similar experiences in religious communities where I learned so many messages about how my sexuality was inherently dangerous, Mm -hmm. right? Like, whether someone was citing Eve or telling me that Leviticus makes queer people go to hell it just was like man this is a lot of baggage to have going into life yeah at like eight too it's just like i don't know if these should be our top concerns the 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 (laughs) sexuality and and the church is really weird and it's just like i'm not even thinking about these things at eight at eight i'm just like i want to just go back home and watch batman like i'm not thinking about you know sex i'm just not even when you're young and if you have a crush on a girl or a boy or a non-binary person when you're a kid you're still not thinking about you're not really thinking about sex you're just thinking about like oh man i hope we can buy the same stickers as each other that'd be really cool <laughs> oh my gosh it's really pure That's such a good description of what it's like <laughs> i mean I, and it's not that different when you get older as a queer person i'll be honest um, <laughs> You still are really like, man, I hope we could buy the same stickers or the same enamel pens or patches or whatever it is. But yeah, those those buttons, right? Like I, gotta, I got you one because I was at Comic-Con. I know. So I got you. I got you a thing. I saw the sticker like it? and it made me think of you. Is that weird? Here's a sticker. It's sparkly. This means I love you, right? Like you get that. Yeah. Of course you do. That's beautiful. I love it. This conversation makes me be really happy that I was raised by atheists. Um, (laughs) Sarah always comes in with that truth. Oh, Lord. Oh, man. I didn't know until today, but it was really like just having a vacation throughout my entire childhood. (laughs) All kinds of stuff that I didn't have to go through. Obviously still homophobia and all of that. And of course, there's always going to be problems. But yeah, oh, my God. I had Southern Baptist family members mm. and stopped talking to them very early, kind of surprisingly early, because I was like, no, I don't, I don't like great grandma. Yeah, there's <laughs> like, some wild stuff in there. It's not fun. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, 
One thing that we do have in common is, well, first of all, we have some bands in common, but also we have Kathy, the comic strip in common. Mm. (laughs) That's one of my favorites. Some of it doesn't age great, but (laughs) as a kid, I read that all of the time. And I remember that all of the women in my family read it. It was one of the only comics that really was resonant, I think, for a lot of female audiences, obviously. But yeah, what was your experience with Kathy? I mean, it was definitely just like the, it was very girls, dare I say, before girls existed. Like it was very like, oh, Mm. this is just like slice (laughs) of life experiences of being a woman. Because when you think of other comics like Brenda Starr, she was like business lady, you know, like she was very girl boss. And it was (laughs) almost like she was too cool to aspire to be. She was kind of doing her own thing. Similar to like Carmen Sandiego. I didn't right. grow up wanting to become Carmen Sandiego. She's just on her own level of cool. I could never obtain the way <laughs> she can wear a hat. I can't even. But <laughs> Kathy was very like approachable because especially, and I mentioned this before, you know, writing a lot about my mom. Like that's definitely just such a experience, the relationship that people have with their parents and especially the relationships between um, female identifying people and their mothers. There's a wealth of trauma there. And so to be able to see these stories and kind of like see their relationship and kind of see her laugh at herself was really cool. And I can even go back now and some comics that, especially like Kathy comics about her mom that I would read and be like, oh my God, yes, this is, <laughs> this is how my mom drives me crazy. I can go back and read now and be like, oh, this is just how my mom loves me. And mm-hmm. I can see the different perspectives of it. It's kind of like when you watch a movie from like the 80s or 90s and you agree with the teenagers and then you get older and you agree with the adults. That is an <laughs> right. awful experience and I don't recommend it <laughs> to anybody. That is me with Buffy. Like oh, watching oh my Buffy God. now, I'm like, Giles and Joyce were so good to you and oh you my treated God. them terribly. Oh my God. I hate Do you know how feeling. worried they were? <laughs> yeah. Do you know how worried they were? I'm like, what? What is going on with me? <laughs> yeah, me with Cyclops versus Wolverine where when you're a kid, you're just like, Wolverine just wants to stab everything. Just like <laughs> me, I'm full of anger because I'm like a kid and I don't understand literally anything about nuance. Oh my God, that Wolverine is carrying like 300 years of trauma on his shoulders. (laughs) He's really stressed out. So relatable for like little, little children. (laughs) Um, And then like, later you're just like i like cyclops because he's trying to tell everybody what to do and to stay organized (laughs) oh my god all of the new characters that you get into later i love the act i love that every kathy comic ends with the same oh my god yeah and then i also like i buy a lot of kathy stuff in fact this is not a humble brag or anything but kathy followed me on instagram and that was a big moment (gasps) for me oh um and she I'm always like so embarrassed because I feel like this is like such a an introductory moment that I have with a lot of people that I admire in comics. But she wrote this really beautiful message on one of my posts about how I was like really sad around Christmas time because Christmas just it makes me depressed. And mm-hmm. yeah, I have this Christmas sweater, a Kathy Christmas sweater. If anybody <laughs> wants to dig through my Instagram archives, you can see a photo of me wearing it. And it says it literally says stress on it. <laughs> um, and her hair is like turned into a, a Christmas wreath. <laughs> and I like had to have it because I'm stressed maybe 90% of my day on a good day. So 
Yeah, I was like talking about like, oh, you know, Christmas, blah, blah, brings up all these feelings. And she liked it and like wrote all this sweet things to me. And I was like in tears and I was besides myself. But she's a really sweet lady. And anybody who's curious about like what Kathy's been up to these days, there's a really great interview with her in the Washington Post about her latest memoir. But yeah, definitely one of those people in comics. It's just like really kind of cool to watch them grow up and also kind of be like, okay, cool. I could still like be in this game for like another 40 years. Like I think there's a misunderstanding and something I tell my students a lot that we have to make it at 12 and be super famous and viral by 22 and then you die at 30 and it's more or less like take your time and take the strides that you have and have a long flourishing career versus like a flash in the pan viral moment that's what I aspire to have are you ready to shop Rakuten's big give week is back get 15% back at hundreds of stores and it's all happening this week May 6th to May 13th it's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. With Rakuten, membership is free, and when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cashback boost. That's an extra 10% cashback on top of the 15% cashback. You won't see higher cashback rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am thrilled to invite you to Rachel Uncensored, my podcast where I get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. From personal stories to hot-button issues, we cover it all. New episodes drop every Wednesday, so make sure you tune in on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored. Yeah, that reminds me of the <laughs> the singer Diamanda Galas had an essay that was talking about how opera singers have these extraordinarily long careers. So if somebody's like, they expect you to kind of peak in our culture, I think at like, yeah, 30. <laughs> like, yeah, it's so weird. And then she's just like, no, opera singers reach their peak when they're like 60. And a lot of them keep singing until they're like 85. So what are you talking about? And I think about that a lot because I read that essay at a time where it was important for me to hear that because I think I was like 29 and I was like, I'll never do anything now that I'm in my elderly years. Oh, I know. That's so wild <laughs> that we think that way. But yeah, yeah, I was really, I'm a Virgo. So what's up? Sarah loves every sign. I do. Like she, every time she somebody tells like she me their sign. She only loves the one sign, but it doesn't matter what the sign is. She's like, yes! It's so sweet. <laughs> so Virgo lovely. helps me, though, because every time I have had a friend who's a Virgo, they're always good at being like, so um, what was your point? Or like, oh. could you like make sure that you stay on top of what you're doing? And I'm just like, right, totally. I was everywhere because I'm an Aries. So I'm all over the damn place. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm just pushing in different directions. And Virgo's like, why don't you just try just the one direction for like maybe more than five minutes and you'll maybe get somewhere. And I'm like, yes, <laughs> I need this. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. We are very nurturing, but we lack tact. 
Um, that's true, that's but the one. <laughs> we don't always need tact in life, so I think that it is good. We, we see tact is- as a waste of time. I could waste the time fluffing all of this for you, so it sounds cute, <laughs> or we could just get to it, and then you'll get there, and then you'll be so much happier. So Exactly. That's what I think. Also, we have plenty of people who are good at tact. <laughs> we don't, there's all of these other signs. If you want tact, you have maybe a conversation with a Libra yeah, sometime. A Libra, but- <laughs> talk to a Cancer, like, but that goes... <sighs> Oh, sorry. I'm just a Libra. I'm, I'm I'm married to a Libra, and it's just like, stop fucking beating around the bush. What do you want from me? So that's why I, uh, I couldn't help it. Oh, my God. Sarah, so we're doing things a little bit differently over on our Patreon, aren't we? Mm-hmm. So on our Patreon, we used to have all the tiers and all the things, you know, because that's what you do on Patreon. You have a higher tier and you say, give me more of your money and you can have this. Give me more of your money and you can have this. And you know what? We don't like it. Screw it. Forget it. We decided that we don't like it. We're flattening all of our tiers. Well, we're still going to have the tiers because it can help you brainstorm how much you want to give. But everybody at every tier is going to get access to everything we post on Patreon. You can join us for as little as $2 a month. And it makes a difference. Every person who supports our Patreon helps us pay our sound engineer and make sure the podcast can keep going ad infinitum, which is, you know, my goal is that when infinity ends, the podcast will continue. So Virgo, right? Um, So I've set a lot of goals for myself unnecessarily. (laughs) And being on the 30 under 30 list was a dream of mine since I was like 12. I don't even know what it means anymore. (laughs) But I guess it was just like, oh, I got to make it on the 30 under 30 list. So that way people know that I've done stuff. And then when I turned 30, I was like devastated because I was like, I'll never make it. And like a lot of some of my friends did make it on that list. And I was like, that's so cool. But now like... I'm 32 and I'm like, oh, I don't care about that stuff anymore. Like none of that matters. Like it's such like a turning 30 and being your 30s, like that transition is very much like going down a water slide. You think the water's going to be so cold when you get down there <laughs> and it's like really nice and like pleasant. Yeah. And then like somebody like hands you a drink and like hands you some snacks <laughs> and we have naps now. Yeah. Oh my God. They're like, hey, we're just having like the 30 plus party over yeah. here. Nobody really tells you about this in the media, but this is when it gets really good yeah. because you don't, in my 20s, obviously, once again, certainly as an Aries, but just as a person in general, I think I felt so compelled to go to everything that anybody invited me to. And Ugh. now I'm just like, oh, I passed the age of 30. I'm 37 now. So I don't have to go to anything if I don't want to. Oh, my God. You're <laughs> like, living the dream. Oh, man. <laughs> I just learned that maybe this year. And I was like. Yeah, Ooh. that was about it for me. It was totally 32, 33. And then I was like, wait a minute. What if instead of going and hating it, I just say no? <laughs> I know. Well, the funny thing also about like being your 30s is you also start to let go of needing everybody to like you. Oh um, God, and then yeah. you almost kind of become spiteful with it. Like you're just like, <laughs> you get a little indignant. At first you're just like, oh God, I'm going to say no. And I hope they don't hate me. And now you're like, hate me if you want. I don't care. I said no. And that's it. I said what I said. Yeah. I'm like, am I trying to alienate people because I have too many friends? Like, is that my new thing? <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, did I need to say that that way? Just don't reply to a text. I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm good. I don't need to reply to this. Actually, that was my therapist's advice. She was like, you know what? 
it's hard to say no to people and I have a hard time with it. So sometimes I just don't reply. And I was like, oh, <gasps> done. <laughs> yeah. I'm doing that. Yeah. So. Because people are going to project what they want to believe anyway. So it's just kind of like. Exactly. Ugh, I'm not Especially people misgender me now. People be like, hey, lady. I'm like, oh. <laughs> not important enough for you to get my gender right. I'm not exactly. fucking answering. Why? Why waste your time? It's just like, ugh. <laughs> You'll never respect me. Why would I put so much energy in trying to prove myself to you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, let's let's do this for four more hours. This is great. I'm feeling feeling better already. Little therapy sesh. <laughs> yeah, totally. So you are one of the six chicks now, mm-hmm. which is seems mostly cool with obviously some very intense things that happened in July. But like, so I was just curious, you, do you mind telling us a little bit about how you became one of the six chicks, what that working relationship is like, and then we can talk more specifically about July. Sure. So I am one of the um, six chicks. So this relationship got started with T, my editor. They had me draw a comic for Popeye's. Oh God! It was it's up there. It was like the an anniversary, like the yeah, 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 fifth or something. No, 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 no. You're not even close. It was like really. <laughs> oh my God! It was like the ninety fifth or like yeah, hundred and forty fifth. Like it was up there. Like it was amazing. How many years Popeye has been eating spinach and not get a single kidney stone? And then after that experience, like they loved. That comic, and I actually did the comic about olive oil. I, I always have to like not follow the rules, so I did a comic about olive oil, and it was during the time where like Great British Bake Off was like taking the internet by storm. So it's called like the Great Spinach Bake Off, and it's about olive oil making um, baked goods with spinach. And Wimpy's one of the judges, which I thought was cute because I always loved Wimpy. But anyway, yeah, so I got started that way, and they really loved that comic. So they asked me if I was interested in becoming one of the six chicks because one of the artists that was there before me was retiring. And so uh, I was like, yeah, sure. And like the lore of this gig was I could basically write about whatever I want. And that's always been sort of a struggle for me as a cartoonist is like a lot of my more political, especially with race comics, will go viral. They'll be kind of become some of the things I'm most known for. And people won't read my other work. Again, just kind of about my experiences or just my weirdness or punk or whatever. Like they won't read that stuff, but they'll only read the race stuff. So my phone was only ringing if folks wanted a comic about basically about me kind of spilling out my trauma for white consumers. And that's something that I definitely don't want to do. I have no issue talking about things and moments and even traumatic moments that happened to me in my past, but it's going to be by my rules and I'm not going to basically just slit my wrist for white people to be like, oh, wow, their blood's also red. That's amazing. And then go on with their day. No, so I was getting burnt out at that point in my career and T was like, you can write about whatever you want. But the icing on the cake was I could still be political if I wanted to, (laughs) which is like, it's important to me. Like, I need a bit of both. Like, I need to be able to be like Black Lives Matter, but then I also need to be like, hey, have you Kurds heard about this obscure band from 1983? Well, let's talk about it. So to have that free range was amazing. And Also, just for people to trust me as an artist means so much to me. I've had to fight so much in my career for people to respect me, for people to read my work. Like, I know for a lot of people who've been watching my career, it may appear that 
as has been done with so much ease and every step I've taken has been graceful and lovely and I've never faced a challenge in my life. And no, I've had to literally punch my way in every space that I'm in. And a lot of times, a lot of my work that has gone viral, people doubted in the past. People are like, why would you write about this? No, 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 we want this comic. Well, can you talk about the police? Well, can you talk about this and the other? And I'm like, no, I'm going to talk about this instead. And they're like, all right. And they don't promote it. And I'll promote it myself and it'll go viral. And then they'll be like, oh, wow, um, you want to do another comic? And I'm like, yeah, because... I told you that I know what I'm talking about. And so to have that space at Six Chicks to kind of just talk whatever I want to talk about and for them to trust me is so empowering. And I mean, I have I have a few editors and so they're not going to just publish anything I write. They will tell me if I'm like way off base. But to have that space to kind of just write on a multitude of subjects is great. And they're just one panel gags. This isn't like deep This isn't V for Vendetta. You're not going to get exhausted with the type. (laughs) It's just some one-liners and whatever is on my mind for the day. Um, In fact, it's funny. I've had this moment, this like huge, you know, viral moment over this last comic with the I Can't Breathe um, shirt. And I'll go into about that in a second. But I I do want to say that's actually not my favorite comic. My favorite comic is one that I drew with me talking to someone who's off screen I'm like having a drink with them and I'm telling them about how my students called me a boomer because I made a 90s obscure (laughs) reference and it wasn't until that I started crying that they realized that I'm a millennial and that's my favorite comic because like that's That's hysterical that's totally my experience as a teacher is my students being like okay old man And then like, and then I'll like be like, now let's talk about our feelings. And they're like, oh, here she goes with the feelings. <laughs> so yeah, it's just like they they got us on on tap. I but back to the the comic. I was doing these, you know, one panel gags. I post a lot of them on my Patreon because you have to have a subscription to Comics Kingdom to be able to read them. And I know that not everybody can afford to do that. So if you subscribe to my Patreon, which is a dollar, um, you can also read them there. Or newspapers, if you are one of the newspapers that they publish it. And um, a lot of my comics are very simple, one panel gags. They're still sort of starring me or a version of me, kind of just doing their thing. But it was kind of getting hard to come up with content in quarantine. And I was really trying really, really hard not to make quarantine comics because... I kind of felt like, who cares? Like, this could be also a time as comics artists to explore other stories. Um, Now that we're in lockdown, we don't all have to do daily comics about doing the same thing that we're all collectively doing. Like, after a while, that's going to get dry. So I've done a few, but um, when the protest happened and after the George Floyd story broke, um, I felt like it was my duty to talk about these things in my work. And I couldn't just stand idly by and not address this. And I also know that a lot of people who read comics in the paper um, are either children or people of a certain older demographic. Let's just say like AARP range. So that could be anywhere from like 50s, you know, and up. And so I know that my audience in the paper is not other millennials, which is why I wanted to push the conversation. And I wanted older people who mostly consume their news from Fox News or a very biased news source to look 
at this story and not be able to run from it. And the way that a lot of reasons why white supremacy is able to go on for so long is because white people can basically flee into these utopias of whiteness and never have to look at it, never have to address it. They can turn their TV off. They can listen to whatever they want to listen to. They can surround themselves by other white people and never have to fully consume or recognize that other people besides white people exist. And to say that anything that we experience is a complaint. And that was the point of the comic was I wanted to share this idea of how this Black struggle is often seen by the white community as um, we're kind of just complaining, we're irritated, we're, we're uncomfortable. And if we simply were just to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, we would no longer face racism anymore because racism in this country... And one of the reasons why I feel like we can't really evolve as a culture is we attach racism and oppression to morality too strongly. um, And we decide whether or not someone deserves to be oppressed, depending on how good they are, versus realizing that no one deserves to be oppressed. No one deserves oppression at all, period, regardless if they're a good or a bad person. Right. But with black people, it's always like, okay, well, first we weren't slaves anymore. Then we got jobs. Then we learned your language. We learned your cultures. We've assimilated 45 five different times and it's still and the bar for racism continues to be raised while the idea of racism is still being seen as a complaint as oh well just just ignore well I don't let racism bother me so why should it bother you just work harder and there's never a harder that we can work to in order to become better than racism we just have to dismantle and remove racism as an act altogether So I wanted to address that in the comic with this woman. And a lot of people have called her Karen. I'm a little exhausted with that term at this point because I kind of feel like white people have taken it over and it's kind of lost (laughs) its original stance as it's been in the black community for generations. And we've always changed the name of the camera. If it was a Karen or a Becky or Miss So-and-so or whatever, there's always been sort of a way we've addressed this certain type of white woman. And whether or not she's a Karen actually isn't the point of the comic. Also, kind of going along with that Karen concept, I feel like a lot of white people use Karen to distance themselves from like their mom or their sister Mm -hmm. or even sometimes themselves where it's just like you realize that this is still a person that's part of your culture. Like you can right. you can call her a different name and feel better than her if that makes you feel better. But this again, like this isn't a superiority thing. This is um, racism isn't just like, oh, well, dumb people are racist and I'm smart and educated. That's still classist. That's still a problem. Mm-hmm. It's just like it could literally be anyone. And some of the richest racists in the world are the ones who are controlling all of this stuff and has nothing to do with their intelligence level. So it's just a random white lady who approaches any person at the grocery store. I, I feel like we've all been approached by a random white woman at some point in our lives. <laughs> she could be a kindergarten teacher. I tried to draw her like a kindergarten teacher. That was who I had in mind. Somebody sweet who means well. I feel like that is some of the most violent forms of racism is from a nice white person who means well. Mm -hmm. Because the reason why it can be some of the most violent is when you correct them, you're you're brought back with violence versus them understanding like that was out of order. So yes, you have this white woman coming up to me or this black character saying like, well, if you can't breathe, take that silly mask off. Because again, my black struggle is silly to her. If I want to stop feeling racism, then just 
go get a college degree and, you know, change the way I speak and change the way I do my hair and change the way I dress and change my culture and change my music and change all of these things. And there you go. And then no more racism. It's just that easy. It's just so easy. And they're not seeing the layers to it. People aren't reading my shirt. She has no idea what my shirt pertains to. She thinks that I'm on her side because white people assume that they're always the protagonist. So they read that and she sees my shirt and she assumes that I'm there with her, that she can't breathe as an anti-masker. So she's just like, hey, this kid's on my side. She's a, she's a good black. She's, a, she's one of the good ones because she sees my struggle more important than her own. So just take the mask off. So there's a lot of different ways that she can look at it. And that was the point of the comic was for it to kind of trigger all of these different ways you can view it. And the fact that it was able to achieve that, um, just something that I kind of drew in tears because I was mad when I was drawing this. I was at a really dark place where it was kind of, I had just gone to a protest. I was feeling sort of at the end of my rope. It's exhausting when the illusion of what this country promises you um, is kind of taken away and you see all of the pain at once. It can be really just, you just don't know what to do with it. And so I process my trauma in my art. And I feel like that's kind of what we've talked about all night is processing our trauma through our art. And that's how this comic came to be is I had to process what was going on in the world in my comics. And I've been called a Marxist for it. I've been called a racist. I've been called all types of things on my name. People people post gorillas in my comments, people, I, I'm constantly deleting hate mail like all day. It's, it's nonstop. I've gotten to a point where I've had to remove my email off of any websites. People can't reach out to me. They even people found me on Etsy. That was weird. Um, oh so God. they could tell mm. me what they believed. Um, but then I also, you know, beyond all of the trolls, there's has been way more support and that I'm very excited for I mean, I don't feel like everybody gets the comic. Again, there's definitely been a lot of support from a certain type of white person. Again, it's just like, haha, white people are the worst. And I'm like, you're white. Um, so, uh, but right. yeah, it's just kind of like, it's, it's all something that solving racism is not my responsibility. That's something that white people need to come together and discuss and not mm-hmm. just look towards black people and be like, yeah, you you say that and then not talk to their family and not talk to because mm-hmm. I ref, I refuse to believe that there is a perfect white family that exists out there that has never participated in any sort of oppression um in any form. Like it's it's you can't. Right. right. It's yeah. like the idea that racism is an individual act it has it all backwards. Mm-hmm. We participate in a racist society, we're raised in a racist society as white people were told that we're from a superior race. We are going to internalize that. We're going to do racist things. Yeah. And the thing that I love from Ijeoma Oluo is she's like, shit, if you're anti-racist, you don't have to not be racist. You can just be committed to dismantling the racism that also lives inside of you. Yeah. And and I am shocked at my own ability to be shocked at this point, friends. But I was shocked that so many people were upset about this because it was like... The comic is so clear to me that it's like <laughs> just naming an experience. And yeah. It's like, of course, that's like my my whiteness and all my different layers of privilege and also my like willingness to believe people are reasonable. Why? Why am I so committed to that? <laughs> but I really also thought that it spoke to something I was seeing so many people express anguish over, 
So yeah. many people talking about the way that anti-maskers being white and the people who are most likely to die from COVID being black and or brown. Mm-hmm. Like, that reality is so important. How could you have, let's say, BLM in your your fucking Facebook page and then you're you're not wearing a mask at the grocery store? Like, those things don't match, right? And so to me, it was like you're, you captured this moment in time so powerfully. And disappointing as it is, I guess that reaction is... The testament to that fact, the fact that people are like, yes, yeah. and the fact that some people are like, fuck no. That's like, yeah, you did it. You done good. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I mean, that was definitely like a point in the comic was the whole anti-masker issue and just kind of like touching back on what I was saying before, where it's just like a lot of the black struggle is just kind of seen as like, I'm insulted. I've saw so many viral tweets by other people of color that were like, oh, you don't like wearing a mask? Well, now you know what it was like for black people to use the colored fountain. And I said, not on my life. No, black people are not. And people who refuse to wear a mask are not experienced at any point the type of oppression that black people face. You are not also being attacked by a dog being ripped apart because you use the wrong water fountain, you know, and the right. same way that we were. You can show up armed at a Capitol and have a protest and walk away completely safe, whereas progressive people, predominantly black people, show up to protest and are shot at with tear gas at least. At least. Like, how can you fucking compare these things? They're not similar. Not at all. So that was... I'm gesturing very emphatically <laughs> in my studio at home. I, that was definitely kind of like the major point was that it was really insulting that people were comparing the mask movement with the civil rights movement. And I said, not a chance. <laughs> we're not even done with the civil rights movement for you even to compare these two. But yeah, so I kind of wanted people to kind of see that aspect of it too. And definitely about how COVID is disproportionately affecting the black and brown communities. And I mean, there's so many layers in that too. It's just the lack of access to health and healthcare and insurance. And like I said, there there is a lot of weight in the comic and it can be a little overwhelming, I, I will say, to even realize my own power as an artist to be able to trigger such a big and loud conversation. I mean, people who know me, and if you've met me, I'm like, I have a pretty great TV personality that I can put on for the cameras. But in real life, I'm very shy. Like I was the kid for the longest time who didn't talk because it would literally hurt. Like I would feel my vocal cords close up when I would try to make a sound when I was a little kid. So I just didn't talk. And I like to be left alone. I'm very, I don't mind the quarantine. I I mind the dying part. I don't want that part. But being left alone for months on on end has been great. And this is, that's just me. And so to have... I've survived a lot of abuse in my life, and so I'm still working on the self-esteem part. And to see that I can have this type of power and see that my voice matters from the kid 10 years ago that was crying and would go to the comic book store and try to find myself and not find myself at all or find a version of myself written by a white dude that was totally off. Yeah, it's it's wild. It's really wild. And I feel like I really haven't had a chance to really kind of sit down and process it because um, who's processing anything right now? <laughs> right. Uh, Good luck. No. Right? It's 10 years from now. Can't, maybe I can we'll get around to what's happened. open that just... door. No, no, no. We, that one's got to stay shut. 
Um, <laughs> and we will open 2020 10 years from now, and we'll look at Ooh, it. Later. And we'll be like, 20 maybe. <laughs> yeah, we'll unpack that later. But um, it's uh, been really cool, and I'm grateful that people are listening to me and are reading my work and are reading my other work besides this comic. Like, they are excited to read other things and, and discovering other things, and I always knew that uh, my work was good. I always knew that I made good comics and they were important, but to see such a large scale of validation, it's been a humbling experience. I know I said that earlier, but that's really all I got. It's just kind of just made me sit here and be like, whoa, it's a little scary some days, um, <laughs> but you, know, you always got to worry, you know, when you're like a lady type person, there's always that fear of you're like, oh God, I hope people don't find out where I live, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah, God. Um, I had one time, I actually shut down my Etsy because this happened like once and I was like, I can't do this anymore. I, I sent something out to like a male fan of mine and he had saved my address from the mailing package and sent something back, but he didn't put nope. his address on it. So it was an unmarked package. And what was inside of it was really sweet. He like, sent these paintings and he like sent his favorite book to me. And it was very sweet, but also extremely terrifying. And yeah, it's just kind of like one of those things that, you know, you also worry about when you blow up. You're like, oh, God, I hope I don't get doxxed or something. Yeah, God. I was going to say that something that stands out to me about the comic is that it's just a really good comic. It all is conveyed. <laughs> like, as you said, we've been breaking it down for such a long time. And it's literally just you look at it and you see exactly the point that you're making. And so in that way, it stands, you know, with all of the other extremely great comics. And it's also not more political than a lot of things that we've seen in Sunday comics or, you know, like any kind of <laughs> syndicated comic strip. So, yeah. I think it's going to stand the test of time. I think that a lot of people will look back and just be like, yeah, that conveyed everything that was happening, you know, in that moment, Ooh. kind of. Um, yeah, that's wild. People have said that to me a few times, like, oh, they should put this in, like, the McGraw-Hill textbooks, you know, for the next generation. <laughs> yeah. I'm, like, I'm like, wow, like, really? Um, but it is funny because I was laughing at your comment because I've had so many people be like, you're in the funny section. You're not very funny. And this is supposed to be the part <laughs> of the newspaper I get to where I was supposed to have a laugh and relax and, and like, i'm just like dunesbury has been just a spiral <laughs> into depression for like the last 40 years I, yeah i don't even <laughs> feel like what i said was even that controversial like that's the fun part of right. this comic is and that's the fun part of my work you know i guess maybe that's a testament of growing up religious as you learn to dance that line of not being offensive but being very very close <laughs> and yeah, my work, it can be read by all ages. Should it be read by all ages? I'm not sure. Um, depends on the work. <laughs> Just because there's some topics that I don't want younger generations or younger kids to feel overwhelmed by might require a family meeting afterwards, but... You push that line, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm edgy. Like, like this is clearly a very frank comic, right? Which is one of the things I love. I love your tone of just like, here it is. But we've all seen videos, right? Of a white woman doing much worse than this. Yeah. Much, much worse than this. What I see when white people knee-jerk react to this is like, I'm in this and I don't like it. 
Like, I'm looking in a mirror that does not make me look good, and I am not happy about it. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, that's why we have to sit with this. Like, that's important, right, to really grapple with. Like, if I was in the same outfit, would that conversation happen? A, I, I wouldn't wear that shirt. But let's say, like, you know, would a white person be approached in the same situation? Yeah. Maybe. Maybe be easier to laugh off. Maybe they would not want to talk to you because of a mask. But it's just, it's never the same, right? There are layers there that should make us question why you tweeted about this. And it, it was so good. And I can't remember exactly what you said, Bianca, but you were like, it's really funny that people assume the white person is the protagonist here mm -hmm. because that's who they then choose to relate to. And it's like, just because you're white doesn't make the white person the protagonist. Yeah. And I was like, that is such a good point that is so lacking in our reading comprehension, but also like white people, we are so into ourselves my god um, you guys you know? always always assume the default like one of the arguments i think there was a really hilarious comment on jezebel um because they had shared my story too which is the second time i've been in jezebel over a controversial <laughs> uh, and, yeah um but there was a comment on the top that was like, well, who would know? Like, who would know the artist is black? And that's just so funny to me, just like assumed white until proven black. And that's kind of, maybe that's one of the reasons why I've been getting away for so much. But yeah, I mean, like, and I feel like if I had drawn the comic with a white person wearing the shirt, I kind of feel like they might have had a similar experience. And then... At that point, she would have for sure believed that this person is an anti-masker because, like, why else would they be wearing a I Can't Breathe shirt? They certainly would not be standing alongside the Black Lives Matter movement. No, no, not those hooligans. They are on my side. So that's actually an interesting point that I actually haven't considered until now. Well, it's, like, also, like, you can't Google. Like, you don't have the ability <laughs> to react to something and say, hey, how about I use this search engine no. that's been made available for free to me? Mm -mm. Like, I all the time will have a reaction to something and I'll be like, oh, shit. And I might even text Sarah and be like, oh, damn, did you see this? Time to read and then I Google articles it and I'm like, about it. Oh, wait, 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 wait. You know what? This was written by a person of color. I clearly <laughs> missed something. Like, let's never mind. Let me let me do some, you know, and then five hours later, I'm like, I have a whole new understanding mm. of what was happening here. And I still don't get it. Yeah. You know? yeah. Because why Why do I have to? Why do I have to get everything? Oh, why does the God. world have to be catered to me? You hit on a point right there that's exactly it the defaulting to whiteness i think there's so many layers to that and i i love that you said it that way because we think about that with uh i'm an editor of fiction and so i frequently talk to white authors and say interesting you have a list of seven characters here and you only told me the race of the black character so you have created a norm in your book that everyone is white and they're like holy shit i didn't know that and it's like i know you didn't yeah. that's what i'm here for yeah. i got your back but also, like, that's one layer, and I think people can get that. But then to assume that if you situate yourself, like, you identify with the character, they must be white. That's another layer. Then, like, if a white person is saying something, they must believe what I believe as this, you know, anti-masker. That's, like, another layer. There's just so much there, and I think that's what's so powerful. I mean, I honestly can't believe—I can, again. I can believe it. I hate it that you are the first black person to write with six chicks and it's like they've been around for so long you know yeah. there's an opportunity to do more and you're the second black woman to be syndicated yeah correctly yeah correct? and it's like fuck it's 20 fucking 20 like we cannot yeah. be doing first and second it was and definitely a bittersweet hooray <laughs> yeah. right 
And that's too bad because it'd be great just for it to be a hooray. Yeah, <laughs> like, uh, yeah. I, a lot of know. big, a lot of my achievements in my career have all been sort of like woohoo. Um, right. And I mean, luckily, um, my my good friend Steen's swooped in right behind me as the third black woman to be um, nationally syndicated with their rendition of Heart. Um, so nice. that that was pretty cool because between me and Barbara Brenda Croft, um, there's a 29 year gap. And so that's pretty that's pretty insane to me. Like a whole human, a human size gap. Yeah. Like a, <laughs> a, they, there could be a human and their child in that gap. Like, yes. A human planning a presidential campaign in six yeah, years. Yeah, like, yeah. That's fucked up. Yeah. I mean, like I that's definitely something that for me, again, just like looking for representation, um, I struggled a lot because there is that gap. And it's a little scary. I kind of feel like that John Travolta gif from Pulp Fiction where he's like looking around. And I feel that way a lot of times when I go to cons um, or in the, in the comics community as a whole where I'm trying to find somebody older than me that isn't necessarily like an elder um, because Barbara, I love her and she's very sweet. And I call her my comics auntie because she's reached out to me several times and we did a panel together for the Billy Ireland Cartoon Museum. But she's in her 60s and I'm in my 30s. So she she could be my mom. Like, legit. She could be my mom. We even kind of look a little similar. But me trying to find somebody like us in their 40s, in their 50s, in their late 30s, it's hard. I feel like the only other cartoonist that comes to mind is like Whit Taylor, um, maybe Iron Spike. I don't know how old Tanika Scotts is, but that's like three people I was able to name off the top of my head. And I'm, I'm talking about specifically like women are non-binary, not cis heterosexual men. No shade, but whatever. And so it's just kind of <laughs> it's kind of hard to see that. And there's a lot of pressure on me some days. I definitely deal with a lot of anxiety and imposter syndrome carrying this torch. Black people are handed torches all the time. We're just like, now it's you. You got to carry this and you got to leave this march. <laughs> and we're like, what? I actually was expressing this a few days ago. I don't think people understand that, yes, black people have been placed this sort of knighthood and nobility to lead these movements. But at the same time, people don't realize that we would love to not be doing this at all mm -hmm. and just be treated like normal people and to not have to talk about racism and race all the time because we're exhausted and we just we're we're fighting to not have to talk about this ever again. Everybody keeps mm -hmm. complaining about why do we talk about this so much? It's like, well, if we dismantle this, we'll never have to talk about it again. That's our guarantee. We'll look back at it and reminisce, remember racism, but we can, you know, join a new society and choose whatever new oppressive force will be in the future. But yeah, it's just kind of, it's exhausting. Um, but it's, it's exhausting and wonderful at the same time. And I think, I think that's the black experience as a whole. Mm. <laughs> it's like, it's exhausting mm. and wonderful. And I, and I've told people this before, like, if I had a choice, if I had, a, you know, a talk with God and I was still like, you know, just some celestial being and I had a choice to choose, to be black or to be white, and I was given the knowledge of everything that I know now, I would still choose blackness. I love my blackness. I have no shame or guilt or frustration or anger towards my blackness. There's so much joy in being black. It's other people who decide and choose that I have no worth, but within my own blackness, it's, it's dope as hell. I love this. I get to say so many things people can't say. I, that's fun on its own. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I, I genuinely think that's gorgeous. This is terrible. But I'm like a little sad about the post office because 
I mean, like, I'm majorly sad about the post office, and that's terrifying. Right. But my my only experience with white privilege is going to the post office because whenever I go, the aunties that work the front are always like, why are you letting that baby sit in the bed? Let that baby cut. And every time I go to the post office, the aunties let me cut, and all the white people are just like, oh, my God. I can't believe this. And I just go in the front, and we talk, and I ask about their kids. And what is it? I had this oh postmaster who tried to set me with his son for years because I grew up like maybe a few blocks from a post office. And so he always asked me, he's always like, are you single this year? Are you single? And I'm like, no, dude, I don't want to marry your son. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I love that. And so that's actually one thing I'm really sad about the post office is like uh, being black at the post office is a totally different experience. I feel like for other people, because <laughs> it's one of the few times black people get to feel powerful and make white people wait in line and be mad and just go on lunch. <laughs> I love it. I'm like, go take your lunch now while she's been sitting here for two hours. <laughs> go. And they're like, all right. And yeah, it's I'm real sad about that. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> that just makes me think of my post office. And I'm like, I love them so much because they do not give like half no. a shit about me. And I'm like, good for I'm you. Like, please be meaner. Be meaner to me. <laughs> exactly. And like, I, I like, I don't want to like turn this into a conversation about BDSM. But like, I'm just like, yes, just be mean. If I if yes. I go to the post office and they weren't mean to me, it's like going to a Jamaica restaurant. If they're not mean to you, then it's not. It wasn't a good experience. It like wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> the food's not going to be good. Like, it's just like, oh, no. I love it. I love it. Yeah, at the post office, I'm always like, can I get these stamps? And they're like, they're out. And I'm like, yes, I, I'm so sorry. Can I get these ones? They're out. You know what? Will you pick one? I would. I, I love it. And they're like, yes, okay, <sighs> here you go. Have a great day. And I'm like, thank you so much. When they had the Halloween stamps, I think I bought like, <laughs> I bought a few. I'll be honest. I spent some money. <laughs> oh, the post office. The only good institution in America. Uh, yeah. You know, something that I really liked in an, in an interview that I read, something that I thought was really interesting that you said, Bianca, is someone asked you advice for, like, people who are up and coming, who are trying to break in. And you said, draw for yourself. Don't try and chase an audience. And I'm, that feels like such great advice, and it really feels like a you know, good advice for yourself, even <laughs> like working on six yeah. checks and being like, I am good. I'm doing my thing. But I, I'm curious, like, has your opinion on that shifted at all? Would you give the same advice today? And, you know, how do you talk to yourself about your audience and, and make sense of who who's reading your work? No, I, I definitely still stand by that belief. A hundred and twenty percent. Yeah, because I feel like if you once you start chasing other people, you can lose your way. And I feel like I had a little bit of a, a cheat sheet growing up with having artistic parents. And, you know, I talked about how my parents got into religion um, in the 90s. But before that, my parents both met in art school. So um, my mom is still an artist to this day. My dad now works in the church. But yeah, like, so I've, I've watched my mom make some struggles in her life and have some pitfalls. And from those moments, I've been able to kind of see like oh okay so this is kind of what happens when you do this and whenever my mom would get ready for one of her showcases and she would design for what she thought people wanted to buy 
those shows, she would always kind of come back very frustrated and kind of like, well, they actually didn't like it. Like if she was like, you know, everybody wanted black, everybody wanted everything in black, she'd make everything in black and people like, where's all the color? And she'd be like, really? So then she would do things in color and people be like, oh, well, I only wear black and she'd get frustrated. But when she would just feel whatever creative spirit would take over and just allow her to just operate and create and be in that space that you can be in. When you can really hit that creative vein, it's like a different type of high. You're almost not even thinking. It's like dancing. Your, your body is just moving. And you can make some of your best art in that sort of space of where you're just creating for you and what brings you joy and what you like. And other people will respond to that. I mean, and when you look at my comics, again, you know, with the Pink Wig story, I, you know, I was writing that for myself. I was, I had been working on that story since it happened. And that's about 2003. Um, so it's quite some time ago, but it's a very personal story that a lot of people can relate to because it's honest. I feel like once you start pandering to an audience, people can tell, and it lacks that sort of grit. It lacks that heart, that good art, needs to have and it's kind of it's kind of dead it's kind of just soulless I always recommend writing for yourself because you know we have the internet and this is very cool and it's very exciting to have this means of communication but at any moment this could all go away we don't control that we're obviously watching in real time our rights and our privileges being stripped from us and really feeling quite helpless in it and if your only goal to make work is to be viral or famous, I mean, if that's your goal, fine, but it'll happen once. And that's kind of like what your career will kind of be is just like there's this moment that you'll have. But no, you should always kind of make work for yourself because at the end of the day, all you have is you and you should make yourself proud. And I can always tell when if I go back and read something that I made for what I thought people wanted to read because it, it sucks. And <laughs> there's really no other way I can place it. It's, it's, not, it's <laughs> not very good. But the work that I made with my heart and I kind of was just making it to tell myself, retell myself the story, it's overall just felt more powerful. And I, I think that's more important. And people may disagree with me. I'm not a capitalist, so that's probably has a big thing to do with it. There's a lot of weird capitalistic entanglements <laughs> with being an artist and like you know needing rich people to support us but also like being anti-rich I don't know but it's a complicated <laughs> yeah. relationship but it's just kind of like uh well I mean if as long as they're redistributing their wealth I guess that's one thing but I'm not doing this to become rich and famous I did acting when I was younger I wanted to be an actor I was in the second city conservatory program and did all that and realized I hated it and realized that I didn't care for those things at all. I actually just wanted to tell stories. Like my whole life, I just wanted to tell stories. That's my favorite thing to do, captivate an audience and share something with us and us to have this moment together. I feel like even if the internet were to die and all we had was telling stories to each other over fire, that's that's what I want. <laughs> that's the ideal society for me, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Same. Yeah. I will join you. We, we will both yes. join you in that society. Yeah. I mean, I this is weird, but like I, I think about the village, the M. Night Shyamalan movie, and I'm just like, you know, honestly, <laughs> I mean, yeah, there was some weird stuff going on there, but <laughs> if me and all my friends move to the woods and just turn the internet off, let's do it. Let's just do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> the village. What a note to go out on. I love it. Seriously. Well, I do, before we do go out, I want to ask, are there any projects you can tell us about that you are working on now and or in the future? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm working on a... A little short story that's going to be in Believer Magazine. I love those guys over there. Um, I'm doing, yeah. I did a workshop with them over the summer, Comics as a Form of Resistance, which you can go to their website and participate in if you're curious and taking a free workshop. I'm also going to be doing a workshop with them, I think, on September 25th. But I have a comic that I'm doing with them that's going to be in their magazine, and it's going to be a little different. I'm trying a different style. It's still my art style, but I'm trying a different way of laying it out. So it's really exciting to be able to have this, again, just have the space to play. I think that's the most wonderful thing you can tell to an artist is to tell them to just play. Because I feel like we lose that, especially as artist professionals. We kind of get into this grind that we forget the joy of making art. And I definitely want to continue to create those experiences for myself. And so I'm working on a comic it's going to be a music comic again. It's going to be a story talking about uh, my relationship with music and my relationship with love and things like that and talking about um, some, there's some abandonment things in there too. So it's really sad, but it's like a, a very sort of sweet sadness, like all good goth music is. And we love yeah, sad shit. So. Yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a good sad. It's a cozy sad. I like a good cozy sad. Ooh, that's such a good description. Yeah. I love that. Sarah lives for cozy sad. Also, like, dev- <laughs> devastating sad, I feel yeah. like. Literally, just my state of being is varying degrees of sadness. <laughs> <laughs> In a nice way, though. It's very cozy. We were talking about astrology, and I'm a Cancer rising and Cancer moon, Ooh, therefore oh <laughs> I was born with this. Jeez. <laughs> I was born to be this person. Yes, I'm so excited. I also am just going to recommend that everybody goes and checks out the Gumroad. That's the platform that you have it on, right? Yeah, it's, it's gumroad.com forward slash Bianca Anise. That's my um, comic shop. I made it easy for folks where you can download them. Yes, I just uh, ordered two while we were talking, so <laughs> I can attest to the fact it's oh, cool. very Yeah, and you can download easy. them for the sake of, you know, printing costs and COVID and mailing and those problems, and you could just read them right at your desk. I, I have a wrestling zine um, that I did with a bunch of other people in comics that's going to be great, that, and that's going to be printed, so that'll be really cool. And, you know, just keep your eyes peeled. I'm also taking a little bit of a step back um, outside of my Six Chicks. Um, those are weekly, every Tuesday. I'm taking a step back to work on a longer form graphic novel. So that's really exciting to be able to tell a long story. But it's still going to be like very punk, very goth. Like imagine the the pink hair story, but 200 pages long. So it's, oh my God, it's going to so be excited. great. Yeah. <laughs> Yay. Yeah. Well, thank you for, you know, being brilliant and being like, oh, I'll just come on to your show and say <laughs> amazing things. That's exactly what we hope for. Uh, this has been absolutely delightful. We will be catching you on Patreon and Gumroad, and obviously we'll see you in the Twitterverse. I'm always there. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much, genuinely. And again, if you want to follow Bianca on social media, it's at Bianca Eunice. We will also have it in our show notes. So if you want to check out there, we will have Bianca's info. Thank you so much, Bianca. Thank you, folks, for having me. This was fun. I needed a little bit of fun time. So this is great. Thank you so much.
podcast that is all about making comic books more accessible to LGBTQ folks and women. So if you have a question about anything related to comics, comic adaptations, pop culture in general, conventions, cosplay, you name it, that's what we're here for. You can send us your questions at bitchesoncomics at gmail.com. Unfortunately, Gmail does not like the word bitch. They're pretty judgy about it. So <laughs> we can't have it spelled out. It is B dot t-c-h-e-s-o-n-c-o-m-i-c-s at gmail.com and yeah remember there's no i'm bitch if you'd like to support the podcast you can do so by rating and reviewing us on itunes spotify or stitcher or wherever you listen to podcasts i'm sarah century and you can find me at www.sarahcentury.com and twitter and instagram still sarah century on those I'm S.E. Fleenor. You can learn more about me at sefleenor.com. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at at S.E. underscore Fleenor. Bitches on Comics is recorded by Kate Warner, who plays in the band Churchfire. You can find them at churchfiremusic.com. Our music is recorded by Katie Taylor, who plays as Earth Control Pill. You can find her music at earthcontrolpill.bandcamp.com. Bitches on Comics is recorded in Denver, Colorado. We want to recognize the indigenous peoples who have inhabited and do inhabit this land. The Arapaho Nation, the Ute Nation, the Cheyenne Nation, and others who have been erased from our history and collective memories through colonization. Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests, where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.